artificial intelligence is going to make a big dent um, if people are going to work or not. Um, I know technologies like mine or my companies don't want to replace people, but actually want to augment them. But when you do augment them, there's going to be some exhaust where people lose jobs. I'm Justin Lokitz from Business Models Inc. And on today's show, how James Costantini, a cognitive computing expert who's helping create the next wave of intelligent visual assistance for your financial life, sees AI, chatbots, and other cognitive computing technologies changing the landscape of work. The big question is, how might cognitive computing help people be more effective at their jobs? All right, so here we are again um, for another uh, chill podcast. And today we're talking about augmented decision-making and really how might we utilize AI and big data to help people make better decisions by creating new ways to find intersections and insights. Our very special guest is James Costantini. He is the VP of Beam AI at Lantern Credit. So say hi, James. It's great to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm sure they're all glad to meet you too. Uh, So tell me a little bit about yourself, James, and your role at Lantern Credit. And also, what, what is Beam AI? What is this? So um, Lantern Credit is essentially very similar to Credit Karma. Um, Our goal is to help people better understand their financial wellness and be able to improve their credit. Um, The Beam AI team is the artificial intelligence team that kind of powers the back end of the Lantern Credit platform. We help with underwriting, um, predicting where scores will go, Mm -hmm. um, that type of stuff. Um, And I've been in artificial intelligence, I'd say, for five, six years now. Um, I started my own artificial intelligence lab. Um, you know, about five, six years ago using neural networks. Yeah, cool. Um, and then just really expanded from there. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. So is this a consumer product that you're building or is it a product more for banks? You know, tell me a little bit about the intersection of where people sort of sit in this product, uh, especially right. for the Beam AI piece. So there's kind of two parts of it. There's yeah. a B2B2C platform, mm-hmm. um, more or less, where um, we don't really want to be like Credit Karma where we're taking users from the banks or the experience from the banks. We want to empower the banks to have better experiences and better products. So what we want to do is be the platform behind the experience. So the banks own the experience, we own the, you know, the the intelligence, more or less. Um, And the other side of it is the BMAI side, where we actually want to go in and power the bank's underwriting process. We believe we have better technology than the traditional, you know, what banks currently use with underwriters and all that stuff, and regular machine learning techniques. The BMAI technology is actually based on something called the Abstract Regression Classification Machine Learning Library. Wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's very long. That's um, uh, Michael Korns, who's a former chief data scientist of IBM and Xerox PARC, he invented this. Okay. And it's actually one of the first white box machine learning systems out there. No kidding, no yeah. kidding. So this is what's enabling you also to bring this to banks and have them have some trust in something. Exactly, that, yeah. Because yeah, okay. there's a big re- regulatory market as yeah, well with totally. banks. And yeah. you know, traditional neural networks or artificial intelligence technology, you only get the results out. You can't really see how they got there. Right. And for you know, highly regulated markets, let it be healthcare, finance, insurance, totally. anything like that, you really have to understand why the algorithms are choosing that because you know you can't bring in social demographic information all that type of stuff as well right and not just you have to i mean the bank has to yes, right? exactly. the bank really has to be able to audit where things are yeah. and understand what's yeah. actually happened yeah it's interesting so you i mean you also have an interesting story uh, as a startup founder you mentioned it before you had started sort of a neural network lab 
uh, it's called Neurality Labs, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and this was this whole co cognitive computing business here in San Francisco. Tell me a little bit about that startup. Like, how did how did you come into AI, and what were you trying to solve when you started with this AI? And this was several years ago, yeah, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So the first thing, um, you know, initially I, I had met my co-founder Brian Himes. Mm -hmm. um, he was a you know very smart data scientist that had been developing these uh, neural networks over the last I'd say ten years. Um, they used something called a genetic algorithm so that they learned and improved mm -hmm. themselves automatically. Um, and initially, this was back when I was in business intelligence analytics consulting, and we realized that we had our own itch that we needed to scratch. Um, it was very hard for you know small and medium-sized businesses to start using predictive analytics. There was tools like SAS or SAP Enterprise Miner, that type of stuff, that was very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, SPSS from IBM. It took a lot of time and a lot of investment, and it really wasn't easy to use. Right. So what we wanted to do is create a point-and-click um, plug-in for you know ClickView, Tableau, SAP Business Objects, all those different types of tools where business analysts can come in and go through a 10-step data science process. We really tried to dumb it down for them. It was a very visual uh, front end right. and essentially tried to make this very advanced artificial, artificial intelligence technology easier for regular people to use and implement. So well, give me, maybe you can give me an example of, you know, of something that artificial intelligence in that case, whether you're using uh, uh, Click or Tableau or something like that, maybe you can give me an example of what does an answer look like or what does the outcome look like that right. you know, someone's stepping through a 10-step process, but what could you expect to give them or what could they expect to receive that might make their life better? So um, there's a one of the largest... Um, alcohol distributors in the world. Um, mm -hmm. They make really good beer. Can't name names, but yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, maybe not really good beer, but pretty good beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> good enough. Exactly, big. yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. uh, with beer, it's always good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they had dashboards and all that to try to figure out which bars are gonna be out of beer ahead of time. For bars that's, or, or for this type of company, it's very, very important to make sure that your bar doesn't get out of beer. And predicting that is often very difficult because there's a lot of different factors about how much beer a bar would go through. Is there an event happening? Is it right. cold? There's all these different things that can come into play. Um, for this distributor, we found out um, that using our neural networks, we could tell, you know, initially with about 83 to 85% accuracy, what bar is going to be out of beer when. So, you know, I'm from Boston. Take, you know, it's, you know, August. There's a um, game at Fenway, mm -hmm. um, and there are. It's you know 110 degrees. It's in the afternoon. It's you know after a long weekend, and we just assume from all those different numbers and and the data that you know bar X, Y, and Z is going to need an actual two to three more kegs wow. than they normally did before. Um, and our system would go in and. You know, over the last couple of years that it's been implemented, it's actually improved itself. It's written its own lines uh -huh. of code and gotten smarter and better because that's really what genetic algorithms do. With data science and any artificial intelligence technology, yes, you can do back testing and try to figure out what's an accuracy, but what really helps it is real life experience. Sure. So it didn't. It didn't really even replace any humans or anything like that. Yeah. In fact, it gave it, people a better ability to predict how they actually might do more exactly. even as humans, right? Yeah. Order more beer, because it wasn't going to order beer for them, right? right. Although yeah. I suppose you could make it do that. We could automate it, but... I, they I made don't, their own decisions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't really think that 
artificial intelligence should should replace humans. I think it should augment yeah. them, make them smarter, make them better. You know, everyone has their, you know, humans have creativity. Yeah. And that creativity is what really informs good business decisions and good products and that type yeah. of stuff. AI can help power that and and inform it, but not really replace. I okay. mean, not a, at least not yet. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. So Thinking back on that, and uh, and maybe even you know even in what you're doing today, what are some of the biggest challenges you over you have to overcome? And you know whether it's that big alcohol distributor and beer, or what you're doing today at Lantern. You know what are the, some of the biggest challenges you have to overcome, whether they're human or otherwise? Well, you know, neurality kind of evolved over time, and and it's kind of put me into the position that I am now. Um, you know, obviously, predictive analytics is a low-hanging fruit. We had to prove out initial technology, and then we grew to start doing more real artificial intelligence. You know, image recognition systems, chatbot systems, um, fraud detection analysis—the the more advanced technologies that are there. Um, and obviously, with the chatbot craze right now, it's it's uh, um, these technologies are becoming more pervasive. I think the biggest issue with these technologies becoming pervasive is simply lack of understanding. Hmm. Um, I, I really think people don't really exactly know how to implement it. It's very cool. It's shiny. You know, a lot of um, advancements have happened in the field in the last three years. Um, so there's a lot of new stuff, and it's very difficult also to stay on top of the new technology and what you can do. But services like IBM Watson that has, I think, over 20 open APIs right now are making this type of stuff more easy it's, uh, or more easily accessible. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to be creative about, okay, now what am I going to create? I see. Yeah, I get it. And, and when you think about what do I need to create, you know, maybe what are some of the questions or criteria that might go along with that, you know, with where you're going with that. You know, what, what does someone use as criteria for that question? So I think artificial intelligence, what it really can do, it's really about experience. Mm-hmm. It's making the experience better for end users. I think artificial intelligence can eventually help um, bridge the gap between regular computers and humans. And, you know, right now it's very, you know, every single app has a new user interface. You have to learn it. You have to, there, there's a lot of friction um, with computers and humans, and I think the artificial intelligence piece can really come in to to you know fix that gap. Got it. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the question again? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's fine. I mean, it's it's the the question was um, you know the criteria that people should, right. should be looking for or using to help them answer some question right if the, yeah. what's next like how do I use this or what should I do with Watson for instance is right. that question what criteria well, might they use to help them answer that I would say find an itch that you need to scratch okay. um, yeah. something that so there's a dating app company that um, has a lot of fraud mm-hmm. um, in their system so mm-hmm. they're um, what they've implemented is a you know image system where there's humans on the other end where before you get a uh, actually get approved for a dating profile, somebody has to confirm you're a human. And that's a very manual process. And for the experience for the customer, that could take a couple hours to a couple days. And people want fat, you know, especially for dating, they want fast you know, yeah, reactions yeah. And, and, and adoption. So 
we found that or they found that itch and saying, hey, maybe image recognition technology can help replace this. And, you know, based on the different facial patterns and all that, really understand if this is a human or if this is fake. And those types of little low-hanging fruit, I think, is a great way for companies to wet their feet with AI and really Mm -hmm. see some, you know, not only a quick implementation, but a, a... you know, large ROI, mm-hmm. and then you guys, or they can get into more, you know, the more technical things, like, you know, fraud analysis, sure. chatbot systems, that type of stuff. Yeah, sure, that makes total sense. So, you know, I think we spoke a little bit about AI, and, and you know, we also mentioned cognitive computing earlier. What's the difference between cognitive computing and AI? Uh, or, you know, a neural network and AI. You know, I, I think there's a lot of terms yeah. out there. Maybe you can tell us some of the differences. I think they're all buzzwords, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. Good. You know, there's, yeah, <laughs> feel it's, better. it's artificial yeah. intelligence, cognitive computing, machine learning, deep learning. Obviously, there's a difference between machine learning and deep learning. Mm-hmm. Deep learning is, um, it's more automatic. It learns by itself. It improves itself. But I really, you know, to me, artificial intelligence is the technology. Cognitive computing is the industry. It's it's a goal of trying to create something that is easier to use. I think cognitive computing lies more in the experience versus the technology. Yeah, that makes total sense. How does that, you know, maybe tell me a little bit how that, you know, that experience then, how does that play into the future of work or how people work, whether it's in banks or um, or auto industry or wherever you see them? But if it's if that cognitive computing sort of represents some experience on the other end, what does that look like in a workplace from in your point of view? So I feel like artificial intelligence and cognitive computing um, really helps give context to mm-hmm. these types of situations. And if they can empower workers with more context that's easier to understand, that's where I think the real game changer is going to be. And that's why you know I keep saying the word chatbot, and there's a lot of buzzwords around chatbots right now. But I honestly think it is the, or it will be, the new user experience. For people that work, um, you know, for a couple companies that we've worked with, we created sales chatbots, where it can help the sales um, reps of, if it sees that you're going into a Cisco office, it will ping you and say, hey, we know you're going in here. Here's the information on the five people that you're going to meet. That's Automatically bring that together. Um, and then can tell you based on everything it knows about this company. So let's say Cisco, it looks on all the news and figures out where the company is, summarizes all the news articles, and then comes back and says, based on everything we know about this and this deal, and then the other deals that you guys have with similar sized companies, here's the things to say, or here's the things to do to actually get this done. And that's where I really think cognitive computing can come in. It's, It's augmenting and giving more context to the people that that actually execute. Yeah, that's fantastic. Beyond that, you know, you know, I, I totally get it with the chatbots and you know these digital assistants, for instance. Yeah. That are really, I mean, digital assistant. That's in the exactly. name. It's your yeah. assistant, right? Um, in life or in your calendar or whatever that is, that's going to help you with these uh, sorts of scenarios. Um, you know, maybe what are some of your most exciting prospects? Now, think of you about what you're building today at Lantern mm-hmm. and what you've done now at a couple other startups, including Neurality Labs. Uh, what are maybe some of the most exciting prospects that you can think of that cognitive computing really represents in that in these imagined futures? So, I think the ability to 
to make advanced products and services and, and services that normally require a lot of human intervention and are high cost available to more people is really where the game is going to change. Um, I, I've worked with a couple healthcare startups, now I'm in finance. Um, the, the idea of these personal assistants, you know, everyone's talking about, it's all about luxury now. I want to be, I want to be important. I want to mm -hmm. be focused on, sure. you know, it's all about me, me, me. So if we can actually develop technology that can make their lives better using cognitive computing, where it actually brings context in, um, I think healthcare is a great area of where this, of, of where this can be applied. Um, it's very hard for people, regular people, to understand what's going on with their health. It's very hard to track. It's very hard to keep up up to date. Um, you know, I get lab results. I get you know blood work done, and I get the lab results back, and I have no clue what they mean. And I talk to my doctor. He's like, "Oh, this stuff isn't important, but yeah, this is." Just did that. Yeah, yeah the exactly. Same thing. I'm like, I think this is good. Yeah. It seems to be green and gray. Exactly. I guess. Yeah. Okay. And if you could, you know, if you had a system that could proactively ping you and say, "Hey, we just got these test results." back here are the five things we want you to watch um, you know your blood sugar is your a1c is too high here's some coaching that we can do with you over the next six to eight weeks that can help you lower that and take more control over your blood sugar levels and hopefully then you know start to combat diabetes and those types of, of issues yeah um, illnesses you know in the financial space what I really love about lantern is that um, there's really no limit to what we can do. If we make this technology that's very easy to use, and you know, even if it's based on chatbots, where it can be easily translated so that you don't need to build a new user experience and UI for each country, um, we can develop a product that makes it easier for somebody to get a home. You know, if, if we can help you know, even 5% of people that apply for loans actually you know, get the trust of a bank, um, I think there's a metric that says 60% of people that apply for a loan at a bank and get rejected never do business with the same bank again. Hmm. Um, and frankly, because it's personal, you feel, you know, obviously humans are emotional yeah. and you feel rejected and all that type of stuff as well. But, you know, for somebody, buying a house or a new car can be life-changing. And if we can use technology to really, to, to help one or two, you know, however many people it is, get access to that, change their lives. Right. Yeah, and it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, today if we look at some of these digital assistants, you know, what I'd say from having looked at a few of them, you know, they're kind of point in time, right? You're going to ask a few questions, they're going to answer you in some ways, you know, and whether it's Alexa or something at work or, you know, some of the sales ones for, you know, for work, for instance, for salespeople, they're going to sort of, there's point in time right. and, and they have, you know, sort of this limited functionality. It sounds like what you're saying is, no, actually, this is an assistant in some ways for life, right? Right. In many of these cases, it's going to keep up with you and it's going to work like your assistant, right. like a human assistant might, which is not just right now, but mm -hmm. I'm not just going to answer the phone or yeah. make you a reservation, but I w I'm going to help you with other contextual problems throughout right. this whole thing, throughout your life. Yeah. And that's, you know, frankly, it's not really that hard to kind of build one of those systems. Yes, a full conversational engine is, is difficult and, and you either need to build out your own sure. engine or use something like Watson. But the rules themselves, you can kind of set that up of saying, if this, then that, if this, then that. And where that really comes in, it's less about the technology and more about the experience. So having product managers, you know, even with the systems that we're developing right now, we bring in screen rights 
and people that can try to figure out a personality for the bots that they can, and, and frankly, we're actually developing 10 different personalities for a bot because each person has a different personality themselves. And if we wanna really make the, the experience more contextual, we gotta personalize it. Some people really want somebody on their butt for their financials. Hey, you know, we saw that you're spending too much on restaurants right now, um, stop it. You know, there's this great app called Clarity um, Money and they send me, you know, every single week they send me, hey, you've spent this much. And I'm like, oh God, really? <laughs> and like it's contextual and yeah. it's kind of that kick in the butt that sometimes I need to, okay, I can't go to a restaurant every single night. Um, but some people need that and other people want to be more gently you know, touched and, and coached and all that type of stuff as well. So if we can deliver technology that really personalizes that experience, I think more people will use the technology and thus, you know, even you know, when it comes down to metrics, the monthly active users go right. up and all that type of stuff as right. well. I mean, you just said it, right? It becomes personal. Yes. The AI, you know, or the cognitive, uh, you know, this cognitive computing uh, arena, it isn't then just for business and you know it isn't just black and white it actually becomes a personal thing yeah. right for every person which is interesting that's yeah. perhaps how it scales too but yeah and I, I think even b2b technology it's all about the experience because yeah, sure. that even even business people are people so when we were developing our you know sales engines and all that type of stuff as well on fraud analysis system we have to think about the end user first yeah. what's most important to them what information do we need to give them first and it's, it's frankly spending a lot of time with these users to understand their issues and then going back and trying to figure out how do I fix this gap between a computer that just is a dashboard and a report to what they actually need to get a deal closed. Yeah. Or to tell that a transaction is fraudulent. Right. Or any right. one of those different you know, problems that can arise. Yeah, that's big. It's big. So on the other side, and I like to ask everyone the same question. Um, what worries you the most, or you know, what's your what's sort of a nightmare situation when it comes to cognitive computing, uh, and especially in the workplace, what's a nightmare scenario in the future uh, that we want to try to avoid? So, um, you know, with AI, I'm, a, I'm definitely a futurist. Yeah. Um, and there's this like idea of this, you know, amazing future, so being like, you know. Um, where, where everyone doesn't have to work and AI does all the stuff. But, you know, that's where I, I really think artificial intelligence is going to make a big dent. Um, it's if people are going to work or not. Um, I know technologies like mine or my companies don't want to replace people, but actually want to augment them. But when you do augment them, there's going to be some exhaust where people lose jobs. That to me is my biggest fear in this transition phase between when AI and robots can do everything to right now where they're only doing some things. Because mm -hmm. there's gonna be a huge job crisis. There's gonna be people that are hurting. You know, even take self-driving cars. Look at all the people that drive for Lyft and Uber and even truck driving. That technology is not that far off. Um, it is very close, especially with companies right. like Tesla and Wemo and all those, you know. Um, I always kind of, understood that Uber, they're raising all that money not for expansion, but for self-driving cars. If they could buy a thousand Priuses and have it in a single parking lot and buy a thousand of the same parts and all that, then the cost of ownership would be more expensive than just pressing a button and having an Uber car come up. So that will 
decimate all of those jobs. And especially here in San Francisco, where I love to talk to Lyft and Uber drivers and, and hear that, okay, some of them are going through struggles, they've lost their job, and they're using this in the meantime. That might not be there. And mm. to me, that's not only heartbreaking because these are people, these are humans on the other side, but it's also how do we fix that? How do we, is it new job education? Is it a, a standard minimum living wage that is given by the government? You know, all these, there's a lot of questions to answer. I don't have them. Right. But that's what, fe- that's what I fear the most, the people component. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people fear and certainly uh, coming into this next lab and the future of work uh, for the Cisco Hyper Innovation Living Lab, I think a lot of what they're going to try to answer is that, is right. really augment people and not just replace them, right? Exactly. Uh, because humans are creative and, and right. can solve lots of problems that machines can't, at least yeah. at the moment. Well, and I do believe as the technology becomes more pervasive, humans will have more time or people will have more time for the creative stuff, arts and sciences, all that type of, you know, if, if the mundane is taken care of, then we can be more creative and the economy can get more um, efficient and effective. And I do see some positives out of it. I just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Maybe no one does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Yep. Uncertainty is a good fodder, though, for creation. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so any final words? And maybe you can even tell us a little bit about what's, what's next for you. Where are you, uh, where are you going from here? Um, so me, you know, I always, I, you know, I, I want to stay in the, um, this arena. You know, it's moving really fast. It's very cool to stay on top of it. Um, I find that if I'm not working directly in AI, I'm going to lose it. I go to conferences every single month. I work with data scientists. I, you know, you have to stay on the heartbeat of what's happening, and even at the more technical industry conferences, because that's what's going to inform where this technology is going. For me, I just want to build experiences for people that make their lives easier and, and more enjoyable. Um, so that's where I really want to help companies bridge the gap between what is AI and how do we actually incorporate this into a product. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much, James, for coming today. And, Thank you, uh, Justin. And uh, yeah, being being our guest. And we'll publish this out and you'll hear it uh, very soon. And yeah, I think that was really great. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you.